trends or tailwinds that can propel your business forward significantly faster than if you don't have them. So if you think of your business as an airplane, if you are flying in a direction where the wind is blowing, you might get to your destination an hour or two faster in the direction with the tailwind versus the direction with the headwind. And so thinking about the trends that your business can tie into that are that that we see as as what we call mega trends right the big trends that are are affecting the world right now we know that blockchain is a significant trend we know that concierge medicine is a significant trend we know that cbd is a significant trend which is a sub trend of the trend towards health and and personalized health and um, there are so many things like that there's you know probably 15 of those major trends that are going on right now. So how do you tie your business into that? Welcome to the Business Mastermind Podcast with business strategist, speaker, and author, Gavin Preston. Tap into this meeting of minds between everyday business people on their journey to master business growth. Join them as they share strategies, insights, and shortcuts to help you survive and thrive in business and life as you scale your business and achieve a bigger impact. Roland, welcome back to the Business Mastermind podcast. Uh, Thanks, my, Great to have you back. And uh, by, by great demand, um, your podcast that we did earlier on in the summer in June uh, are number three and number four, respectively, in terms of download charts of all the podcasts we've done. So I just wanted to get you back to get your thoughts around... Um, trends, business trends that we should be looking at, marketing trends that we should be looking at at the start of a new decade, the start of 2020. Absolutely. Yeah. So many exciting things going on. So where should we start? Uh, in terms of marketing, we'll start with marketing, then we'll talk about some other bigger picture stuff that might be happening around sort of uh, business acquisition type space and valuation principles or anything like that, that you, I know you're a voracious consumer of, uh, of insights and knowledge in this space. So what, what do you see some of the shifts in terms of the marketing space? Well, you know, it's it seems to me more refinement at this point than, and so shift I like a lot. There, there doesn't seem to be anything revolutionary. Like we have really a refinement of lots of things that have happened before. So I think one of the, one of the biggest is personalization. We've been, we've been, you know, we started as marketers with what they call the spray and pray mentality of we'll just yep. shotgun, you know, blast everybody out there in the world and, and hope that they receive our message. And then we moved to personalization on a very, very low level through CRMs saying, you know, well, we, I can have an email that says, hi, hi, Gavin, you know, but it's high first name. And that, you know, that kind of is where a lot of people are stuck, but where things have moved more and more and more. And I think you're really going to see this being the thing that outstanding marketers and those who have the most success in 2020 do is to very granular personalization that is segmented, not just by things like personas and, and names and things like that, but, but even down to categories of interest and then based on action and behavior. So there's tools that there's a lot of different tools that allow you to do that, that are built into a lot of the CRMs right now. And then there's standalone applications and things like that. But I think that, that the customer really doesn't want to be exposed to things that they're not interested in when they're seeing ads, that they'll tolerate ads. 
but they will not um, respond in a good way to things that aren't thought out. And so I think for, for everybody that's listening that, that is currently not taking advantage of that really granular personalization that can be done some, you know, based on their customer's behavior, that, that that's a, a big place that you'll see a separation between the people who are really having success and the people who are not. And that's across everything from social to email um, to post-purchase messages, which leads to the second thing, which I think is an evolution of the customer experience in general. And it, we, we've seen, again, where it used to be, here's the product, uh, it, you know, uh, for example, on an e-commerce product. Uh, here's, here's the offer of the product. Now you buy it, you go through this uh, completely arcane cart, you have to enter in all of your information again, that's brand new and then you buy the thing and it's X weeks until it gets shipped out and there's no confirming email that says that, you know, congratulations, you bought this. There's no follow-up or anything like that. And the companies that are having the greatest success now, and particularly I think as we move into 2020 is, will be those who are really focused on customer experience and moving over to the other thing that you mentioned, which is, in acquisitions and the ability to to have your company purchased by someone else, uh, increasingly I see the private equity companies and the large acquirers that we are dealing with and selling our companies to on a regular basis focused on what's your net promoter score, what is right. your customer satisfaction score, what's your customer health score. Those are the three most common measurements that that we see them asking for, and they're tracking not only customer satisfaction, but they're actually secret shopping your business um, either both before and after acquisition to make changes based on customer experience. And, and the companies that have differentiated a positive customer experience are seeing not only great growth, but they're seeing higher multiples when they sell. Because there's less churn and therefore less risk for the investor. Yeah, that that is is a big part of it, and and but in, even in addition to that, when when you're thinking about growth, when you think about really, they're they're not interested in buying a me too company. They're right. interested in buying typically a market leader that has significant upside potential. And so, if you if you go to the core of everything, you go to brand, and a brand is a promise, right? So the brand is a promise of the experience that you will have both in terms of the buying customer experience, customer journey, and also the experience that you'll have with the product or service that you're acquiring. And so if that promise from that brand is a positive experience, then you're likely to do better. You're likely to outperform your competitors and you're likely to not only keep the customers that you've got coming back, but generate significant additional customers in terms of referral and in terms of customer acquisition from brand recognition. So when someone who is not a customer sees something from you and, and has heard positive things about the brand because the brand promise is strong, then they will be more excited to buy. And similarly, in terms of promotion, uh, the statistics and studies show that a happy customer is likely to refer nine additional customers and an unhappy customer is likely to tell at least 16 people of the bad experience. So that's a pretty big delta 
between happy and unhappy, right? Absolutely. I'm surprised, actually, that there's as many as nine positive referrals. I can understand the 16 uh, <laughs> negative referrals. But yeah, nine happy customers. So, so the lengths that businesses have to go to now in terms of improving their customer satisfaction you know, is higher, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. And, and even, even beyond that, it's the overall customer experience. So we talk about taking a complete customer inventory and saying, you know, what are all of the interactions that someone will have with your brand pre-purchase during the purchase and post-purchase. And so doing that inventory and then aligning everything to be sure that each communication, each interaction with the customer, each touch point is exactly what you want it to be to deliver on the promise that the brand makes. So, and, and I think that's, that leads into a couple other trends too, like um, customer, uh, excuse me, like conversational marketing. So that the customers don't want to be, <clears throat> they don't want to be talked at, they want to be communicated with, and they yep. want to be brought into the purchase, prop, uh, the purchase process. So that's why you see um, companies like Drift, which are doing, or ManyChat, which are doing chatbots that are highly intelligent, adaptive, and, um, and, and they are able to, if they're done well, learn from the customer's responses and communicate with the customer so the customer feels like they're a part of the journey. And while that is uh, an automated process, it does incorporate, the, the better ones incorporate machine learning and, and artificial intelligence into the process so that they adapt based on the responses that the customer gives and are able to provide the experience that is better than, than one where it's just an email that has no context, no ability to really reply. Because how many emails do you receive that say do not reply on the top, right, yeah. from, from brands? That's, that's kind of not smart, right? Yeah. That's, that's really not smart. That means there's no way for me to get a hold of you in, that's contextual to the experience that I'm having right now. I'm, I've got to go into your customer service software or contact you another way and then bring someone who knows nothing about what's going on up to speed about my challenge problem thing that I'm happy about whatever so the conversational marketing eliminates that disconnect and facilitates a an actual conversation in context with minimal effort by the customer and that's the same thing with uh, with shoppable social so that's another trend that has been in the works for several years, I know I talk, talked about it back in 2015 when a lot of the uh, companies were first experimenting with it, but now shopping in post shopping based on what you see that you're interested in is definitely, um, Pinterest has probably done the best job of it, Instagram yeah. has probably done the worst, but there, that's definitely something that I think it makes sense that if you're, you, you know, a lot of this stuff, is just if you are there aware of it as a seller of a product or service so that you can be one of the first to in, improve the customer experience based on integrating these new technologies, then you're going to have a huge advantage. If you're selling glasses like Warby Parker and you allow your customer sitting in the comfort of their own home to virtually try on the glasses almost like a Snapchat filter, then that's going to give you a huge advantage over the others. And as we know in, in business and in marketing, the, the advantages are only, uh, there's only a short window, a narrow window that we have to take advantage of them before the new advantage becomes the new norm. 
And sure. all customers benefit from that, that process. But the, the merchants and, uh, and sellers who can adapt those new things that, that improve, make easier, uh, expedite the overall customer journey and customer experience, they're going to succeed. And so I think there's a lot of those windows that are opening much wider for it for us in 2020. And, um, and so just being aware of those and then experimenting, uh, that, that's going to be a huge deal. So if you take a Warby Parker, for example, uh, providing uh, somebody with their smartphone looking on Snapchat, Pinterest, uh, Instagram or wherever at their, or even at their site, you know, yep. there's, a, there's an investment, isn't there, by Warby Parker in the tech that, and the app that will then enable the camera on the phone to be able to take 3D virtualization of their face and the glasses on their face. Yes, and that's typically done as augmented reality, where they so they're not actually having to scan the whole face. It's just done as a filter, so they're mapping the points on the face where the glasses would sit, and then uh, applying the filter of the different glasses that somebody might want to try out on there. So, fortunately, that's that's a little easier than like a full scan would be, and it also I think enables on mobile connections. You know, and and we see five G coming. Uh, you know, uh, as the new faster, better. Uh, 4G, 3G, but yep. um, that that'll you know that will also have an impact on what's what what the systems are able to do and what people are able to take advantage of as well. But yeah, you're absolutely right. It's it's that experience of being able to see the thing that you're thinking of purchasing on your face, or like Wayfair has done, where you can take a picture of your um, you know your home or your office, and then you can pick furniture and virtually place it. Uh, there so that you have that augmented reality. They have the reality of the actual space that you have, which if you think about that goes, this is how all this ties in together, right? That goes back to personalization. That is granular personalization at the individual level of this is my space or this is my face. And now this is what your product or service looks like when applied to that situation. That's, you know, that's really where you'll see every successful merchant go at, that has anything that could possibly be put into a situation like that. That reminds me actually of a video I used to share of a Toronto-based um, Porsche dealership. I think it was Toronto-based. Um, I think it was PAF, if I pronounced it right, P-F-A-F-F. And what they did was they went around uh, the neighborhood, uh, neighborhoods of their avatar customers, their ideal target customers, and they pictured one of their Porsches looking as if it was just pulling off a, a homeowner's driveway. Oh, and then, nice. Oh, it's, it's, a, it's on YouTube. It's brilliant. And then they went to a little van. They took, they uploaded the pictures. They, put a, they printed out the picture into an A5 card, and they popped that through the door and you know, <laughs> took about a lumpy mail campaign that was very, very personalized because they actually yes. saw an image of a Porsche that appeared to be driving off their own driveway. And so that was done in the physical world, but now we're seeing that kind of idea of personalization moving very much into the digital world for an experience on your smartphone or on your tablet. Yeah, and, and what's interesting is, and, you know, and, and another trend, is the merging of the physical and the digital world. So if you were Porsche today doing that campaign, you might go and, uh, and grab street view images of the zip codes of the people who had the income that looked like you know the, the income of the typical customer. So you're matching sure. demographic data, which is another trend, right, to the technology that exists 
which would be Google Street View. Now you've got pictures of their homes and their driveways from the street, and now you use digital technology to place the car in each of those images that already exist so you don't have to send somebody out there and now you print that out and have it mailed to them and that campaign would scale infinitely as opposed to the scale, the campaign that they had to run several years ago of sending people to the individual driveways so i love that because that's let's take the data of the demographic of of somebody let's personalize it down to the level of the individual the ability to 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 take data individual personalized personalization at the at the individual level and then take existing digital technology to layer the product that you've got on top of the individualized personalized setting with the data telling you that this is the exact individual that you want to target that that to me is a really I love that example you gave because that that's a perfect example of where we were and where we are and where things are headed. But I'm hearing that and it's, it, it sounds and is amazing. And of course, it's going to have immediate impact um, when, you, when you receive that level of personalization. But my brain immediately goes to, so what's the implications inside the marketing team of, of, of a business? No longer do they need to almost have had the marketing background training or degree, but there's a whole tech overlay. Well, it's not even overlay. It's, it, it's built on a level of the latest tech. So you, you need coders and developers in your marketing team now. Yeah, you, you do. And here's, here's the thing that is, that is another trend. I'm, it's, I'm really happy that you said that because where, where marketing used to be siloed and product was siloed and sales was siloed and tech was siloed. Now we look at growth teams and growth right. teams incorporate people from product, people from marketing, people from sales and people from tech so that you are developing everything in a in an environment where each of those divisions that used to be siloed are talking to each other and providing feedback so that your growth is really dependent on an evolution of the product to meet the market and the ability of the sales team who's connecting with people one-on-one -on -one to do primary research to say, you know, feedback from the field and talking to these people is this. And they're talking to the product team and the product team is then saying to the tech team, you know, well, we need the technology to be able to evolve the product to this. And then marketing is able to communicate that back out into the world to generate leads for sales that will be leads that are qualified um, and, and that, are able and that sales will then be able to communicate these evolutions in the product to. And that's like, if you look at a HubSpot or uh, an Apple or Amazon, that's really ev everything now is going with growth teams. I can see how an Apple and Amazon or HubSpot has the budget and can pull a team together like that. But when you're looking into the small to medium sized enterprise space, yes. does that mean they, that, that they have to take this, requirement of a growth team and go and get it from an agency and those agencies become more like growth your, your external outsource growth team well i strongly believe that in a very small company that you that if you can afford to have an agency it's and, and we use agencies uh in, in our businesses in all of our businesses because we, if you can afford to have one then have one because you're bringing in the experience of someone who is doing experiments on a regular basis for dozens or hundreds of clients and you're getting the benefit of the 
incremental knowledge that each of those experiments gets. So for example, if you're, and this goes, goes to how, you know, Amazon says we win because we can out experiment our competition. And it's true. If you think about you're a, a, a one person show with maybe two people that are working for you, you're, you know, it's, you're the founder, you're wearing all the hats and you've got a couple people that are helping with fulfillment. So you're the marketer, you're the sales team, you're the product innovator, creator, and you're, you're, you're busy because you're, you're probably in the cycle of I've, I've got to go get sales and now I've got the sales and now I've got to fulfill on those sales so I can't sell while I'm fulfilling and then I've got to go get more sales. And that's a tough cycle to break free of. The only way to do it is, is to you know, take, the, take the leap of hiring the first person to replace your least valuable thing that you do. But if you hire an agency, because you're like, as that, that entrepreneur, you're full already. So the chances that you're going to be doing experimentation and, and A-B split testing copy lines and subject lines and, uh, and marketing channels and different parts and combinations of messages and email sequences and all that is pretty low. Yep. It's pretty low because you're busy, right? Sure. So if you bring an agency on, that can do that, then you're bringing on someone who is conducting those tests and has the benefit of the learnings of all of the things that they see from their customers. So let's just say that you're able to, to run one experiment per quarter. Let's, let's, let's actually, let's be super generous and say, you're able to run one experiment per month. You're able to, you know, just like, okay, I, I'm going to take a minute and I'm going to see if I try this one thing, if this will improve sales. Yeah. And that, then you're done. So that means at the end of a year, you've run 12 experiments. But if you've got an agency, and let's say they only have three other clients and that they're running one experiment a month for each of those three clients, well, they're three times, three clients times 12 experiments, 36 experiments, they have achieved three years of your marketing knowledge and evolution sure. in one year. But the yep. chances are that they're running an experiment a week at least for each of those clients, which means sure. they're running, let's give them two weeks off. That means they're running 150 experiments, which yep. means they're running approximately 12 and a half years of experiments mm. in your time, right? Yeah, so yeah. that means that if you bring them in, you can be 12 and a half years worth of what, where you would have been in experience and customer knowledge in a year. And your competitors that are using them are getting that knowledge. And your competitors that have those growth teams are getting that knowledge. And so that's, the, that's my pitch for using an agency. Now let's go back and say, okay, I don't have a growth team. What do I do? Well, you are the growth team if you are marketing, sales, tech, and product. Because all we want to do is say those roles should not be siloed out. Because when they are, that's when you lose the communication and the learnings that can come to help evolve the product. So, and I think that's why you see solopreneurs and very, very small companies innovating faster than large companies because they are getting that feedback. But the problem is, is that they're frequently constrained by their ability to go out and actually do the research and have the customer interaction that they need to have to be able to take that feedback and integrate it into the things that they're doing. So if we're seeing more and more, you know, the growth of the gig economy, more people taking portfolio careers or free, taking the role of a freelancer, yeah. um, how are they going to compete in terms of winning business and, and, and getting 
some of the mind share of a potential customer when they're competing against corporates that have got a growth team or medium-sized organizations that have got the budget for, for an agency? Yeah, I, th I think it's the way that they always have that, that you, you out scrappy those people. So, you know, you can, <clears throat> excuse me, and we've talked about it here a little bit, but if you are a freelancer and let's say that you're an SEO person, so you're helping people with uh, search engine optimization and you're working by yourself, then you don't have all of the other uh, parts of the business that you might draw on that a big agency would, but you do have access to a tremendous amount of information. And I think the way that you get around that is that you take advantage of the mastermind concept so that if you don't have the access to those teams that more, uh, more well-funded or more experienced or larger companies have, then you look to create the things that will help you be informed about the other parts of the business you should be informed about and you form a mastermind with somebody that's a paid media buyer, somebody that's a social media person, et cetera, et cetera. And, and I know that you personally are, are a massive advocate of masterminds and you evidently see significant results, improve, you know, opportunities opening up for members when Absolutely. they use this approach. Absolutely. So in, in summary from what we've talked about, trends, personalization, evolution of the customer experience and the link to that being around that private equity is looking at your net promoter score and your customer satisfaction score uh, which has now led to a change of creating multifunctional growth teams as opposed to having siloed marketing or different from tech and sales absolutely if there was a final trend um, that we you would you would share that people should be paying attention to for 2020 and beyond what would that be I think the, the, the thing that I would like to leave people with is that, that trends are tailwinds that can propel your business forward significantly faster than if you don't have them. So if you think of your business as an airplane, if you are flying in a direction where the wind is blowing, you might get to your destination an hour or two faster in the direction with the tailwind versus the direction with the headwind. And so thinking about the trends that your business can tie into that are that that we see as as what we call mega trends right the big trends that are uh, are affecting the world right now we know that blockchain is a significant trend we know that concierge medicine is a significant trend we know that cbd is a significant trend which is a sub trend of the trend towards health and and personalized health and um, there are so many things like that. There's, you know, probably 15 of those major trends that are going on right now. So how do you tie your business into that? And here's an example, cause we talked about an agency, right? Like a, a gig economy type person. So if I'm, if I'm an SEO person right now, then I'm going to be focused on how can I help businesses that have a tailwind? How can I help businesses that are focused on concierge medicine or blockchain sure. or CBD sure. or whatever other thing there is. And then I would also look if I was, you know, whether I'm in a, just a, a business or, or a service provider or a product provider to say, okay, let's look at the technological trends. So voice search we know is becoming ascendant over the old way of typing in questions into Google or, or whatever search engine. So knowing that, then I would want to specialize in voice search. I would want to, as a business, I'd want to say, how can I take advantage of 
of that. What can I do to learn the, you know, to, to tie into the skills that Alexa has or to tie into Google Home for, uh, let's say I have a pizza delivery company, right? I want to be the first response because there's a, that's a, a zero sum game. You're either, you say, hey, Google, where should I get a pizza? And Google says, you know, Gianni's or yeah. doesn't. It's not like the old days where there were on the, um, where there's 10 options, you know, that show up on the screen. Now it's, you know, and even on search itself, it's, it's zero position, right? The box, I want to get sure. the box, not the other search results. So I think being a specialist is always going to serve you better than being a generalist and in terms of, of your target markets. And so as a business, no matter what I'm doing, whether I'm a consultant or a product seller or a service seller or an agency or a gig solo person or a company with a thousand people, how can I look at these overarching trends that are happening both technologically and business-wise and say, I need to tie what I do to that because if I do, that's where everybody is going. And is there a resource or resources you'd point people to to where they might detect uh, meta trends? Um, well, so the, to me, the, like I, I use services. I use trendhunter.com and I use trendwatching.com. They could also go to um, Google Trends and just kind of see in, because that, that allows you to dial it down to your specific geographic area. Right. And, and I think those are like, so I think Google Trends and uh, trendhunter.com and trendwatching.com would be my number one, two, and three choices. Brilliant, Roland. Thanks again, as ever. Packed full of uh, uh, brilliant stuff in there. So uh, thank you very much, Roland. Oh, thank you, man. I really appreciate it. You've been listening to the Business Mastermind Podcast. Be sure to subscribe, rate, and review so that more people like you can get their business back on their own terms. Enjoy more success and create more impact.